When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to You're Making It Worse. I'm Elliot Glazer. I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. We're here. We're queer. Meh. Textual healing. This story, I, I blanched when I first uh, heard about this story because it flies in the face of <laughs> Brent's idea of like queer. Brent always has, has a lifelong... Um, bit where in a gay club or gay bar he'll flail his arms overhead back and forth like those blow up dolls outside of like a car <laughs> right, dealership. right, car dealerships right and cl- close his that's eyes how i dance make and that's how you dance but there is such a thing as queer joy in in dancing and it's a very visible thing yeah. and uh, it it's unbelievable but it actually led to an actual murder in brooklyn uh where a 20 28 year old guy named o'shea sibley was basically at a gay gas station with his friends in Brooklyn and they were playing Beyonce and like voguing just while they parked their car and, and, and like filled up the, the gas tank or whatever. And these dudes confronted them. It's on video and a fight broke out and one of them literally stabbed him and killed him. Um, and it's just such a jarring, scary story because it, he was, you know, 28 years old. He was a dancer and, uh, but, you know, beloved by the dance community, but killed just for like basically acting like having a gay affect in the way he was dancing with his friends around their car um and so it's caused you know a wave of uh of of an outpouring of of thoughts and and thoughts and and grief um mm-hmm. i put out a statement even beyonce because they were listening to beyonce and she put something on her website i think they even she even did something at one of her shows to pay tribute to him um but yeah, Glad put out a statement saying he was voguing to a track from Renaissance, Beyonce's album, music from the biggest pop star in the world celebrating Black queer people. He had the audacity to live without the strains of patriarchy and toxic masculinity, embracing freedom and joy. He should still be alive to celebrate all that made him great and inspired others to live their truth. It's just such a sad story because it's yeah. a completely pointless murder that is just born out of who the fuck knows? Some guys just. Oh just, no! Oh, we know exactly why. I, I'm what I mean is like it. He, this person is so, his emotions were so paper thin that he was so threatened by this guy dancing that he stabbed him. It's 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 really um, it's really horrifying. I mean, I think one of the things that like 
it's so sad. I've been following this pretty closely and it's, um, it's, it's one of those things that like, you see the rhetoric on against on Instagram against like gays against groomers and the way that they attack like the the pedophile ring of sort of queer people and drag queens and trans people who are and effeminate men who are are doing something to the kids and the kids are in danger and all of this shit and there's this and that even it's not just a thing that's happening in the south or in the suburbs or in the boonies or wherever you think it fucking is happening it's happening all over the country here in los angeles in glendale there's massive protests out the glendale city council just for them acknowledging pride acknowledging that pride exists that's all they were doing they were doing nothing else you have in the city of new york you have people a kid a 17 year old kid who presumably lives in an urban setting within brooklyn or queens or somewhere in the in the borough and yet they're influenced enough to say this effeminate man with his effeminate friends at a fucking gas station deserves to be threatened taunted and humiliated a fight breaks out and that person is intimidated and then stabs that effeminate man because they are somehow beneath this 17 year old fucker and it's infuriating that the rhetoric and what's going on online we see it as just sort of like a political problem and it's just sort of a thing that's happening and it's these crazy people who have these crazy notions about queer people but this is a manifestation of it in real life happening in Brooklyn, New York. And it's it's disgusting. It's gross. And we know exactly why that kid did it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. No, I, I I don't I don't disagree. I'm I'm not being silent out of uh, out of disagreeing that uh by any means, which is oftentimes the case when I'm silent, but in this case, absolutely not. Um I think it's even it's just offensive that it's it's all offensive, but it's something about the fact that this guy was 28 and that the person of interest is 17 yeah like something about that is even more unnerving because it's so easy to take for granted the progress that's been made you know to think that people have evolved knowing that of course that's not the reality per se but that overall you know conservatism has moved toward to, to accepting homosexuality or gayness or lgbtq stuff in a certain way to a certain point and that this 17 year old kid in brooklyn is so triggered by somebody voguing uh, with friends by a, at a gas station that he stabs him i think they were triggered by the group standing up for themselves because they yeah. fought back. the group fought back and i think these kids did not expect i don't i, I mean i don't know how many there were but i i don't think they expected the reaction they got and that's why it led to what it did and i'm not saying for people to fight back but on some small level i'm like there is an attack even within the queer community on effeminate men effeminate culture you know people who sort of live on the spectrum who don't necessarily subscribe to the sort of masculine ways in which society says you're supposed to act and work and live and and it's there, I mean, there's something that I think even we within the queer community need to address within how we talk about these these different types of people who are living in our community and and how how we talk about them within the last couple of years i've definitely noticed uh an uptick in the number of um i would probably say primarily men dressing in sort of n openly like non-binary or or feminine ways and it's such it's it's interesting because like even i have picked up on strangers in downtown los angeles disapproving of men in classically feminine clothing and 
it really does, you know, it really does speak to a, a, a bravery um, because like I, it's a tense time, I think in particular for trans folks, non-binary folks. And I would, it, it takes a lot of guts to walk out of the house, um, you know, knowing that you're probably sheltered living in a fairly progress, you know, in, in a progressive big city, but not necessarily. There's tons of bigots anywhere you go. And I'm I'm honestly blown away, but also anxious when I see anxious for them, not anxious because of them. I'm anxious for them when I see folks around yeah. um, in dressing certain ways, because I know that 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 garners a lot of attention from people. And that's the interesting, I think, place within where we are within sort of the queer rights movement is that like, what's the alternative to to dress in a more sort of like. Right scary way so that just so you can pass through life and not have any problems at all or just i mean basically not live your actual authentic self just because someone might say something or horribly something crazy like this could happen and it's like i think we within the queer rights movement we're at a point where we're like no we're never going back to that we're never going back to a place where we're going to stop wearing what we want or living how we live or saying what we you know what I mean. We're not going to do that, even despite the dangers that exist or the problems that exist within society every single day. And it's I think that's a good thing. Yeah. So think yeah. It's, it's ammunition for the crazies out there who are yeah, for sure. We'll say these the crazies are not a large. This is something that we talk a little bit about with our next guest, Brian, in that like you know, the gay political movement and sort of how, where people, where we are with gay politicians and stuff. And one of the things that I wanted to bring up with him, but I had, I didn't, is that it does sometimes seem like the gays against groomers and the people out there who are making all this noise about trans people and drag and, and effeminate men and everything. It's such a large, large, uh, it seems like a large amount of people, but it really isn't the vast majority loud of loud minority, the very loud minority, but the vast. Hmm, interesting. I think I say that every time we talk about this, but yeah, go ahead. Vast majority of Americans aren't with them necessarily. And so that's something to remember that the loudest people who are doing the scariest things are actually a very small percentage, but still they're very loud. And be intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Well, I, I think, I think, you know, uh, for future reference for folks who want to walk around downtown Los Angeles or whatever um, in, you know, uh, you know, gender non-binary clothing, just take a page out of the Brent Sullivan playbook and carry your bear spray with you everywhere you go. We should, I mean, just to add to that, because it was really funny, a couple of weeks ago when I was doing a show at Precinct, I got out of my Uber and I passed you both on the way, but I looked probably a mess because I was in hair and makeup, but I wasn't in any clothes. So I really just walked in in a robe and like sports shorts, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, so I have a feeling I was adding to the non-binary um, <laughs> element of downtown Los Angeles that night. And I will say it was weird because I had to go around the corner to get up to the back part of the bar so I could go to the yeah. And it's, it can be strange when you're in drag and you're in half drag walking around, but sometimes you have to do it. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Well, next time, if you need an escort with bear spray, let me know, Alan. <laughs> Not even joking. We are here today with America's political advisor. I really think that. I think he is Gen Z, millennial, all the other things that I don't understand. Political advisor, Brian Derrick. Hello, Brian. Hi, thanks for having me on. You Are you Gen Z? 
I'm a millennial. Yes. Oh, wow. You're one of ours. I think yep. you give up, not to, I hope this doesn't come off as offensive, but you give off a millennial vibe because you know so much. We're very smart. Yeah, right. I think that I speak, I think I speak to millennials. Um, I try to get the Gen Z stuff in there, the isms and the internet of, of it all, but um, yeah, I'm a millennial. But you mm. speak to Gen Zs because for anyone who doesn't know the brilliant things that you do, I mean, you do lots of things, but, and you're a political advisor and all the things, but I think you, this past year, maybe the past two years, you got really big off of basically your like political explainers on Instagram and like, they go viral because you explain the things that a lot of people just don't understand about politics and government. That is definitely my goal. I think that it's been a really crazy time politically uh, in this country for the last really five, six years. And people feel angry and afraid and all of these things. And it's not made any easier by the complexities of our political system and sort of the unwillingness of traditional media to take that on in a real way and bring people into the fold. And so my goal is very quickly and very simply online to break it down for people and usually direct them to some kind of action that they could take to actually yeah. make a difference and engage. How did you get started with the idea of these sort of like explain political explainers on Instagram? Like how did that all all of that begin? My very first one was when Evan Ross Katz texted me the pod. and yes, absolutely. I figured uh, he would be familiar around here. <laughs> Um, and he was like, so what's going on with all these delegates? It was during the 2020 presidential. There were like 20 Democrats running for president and they were handing out all these delegates in Iowa and caucusing and all these things. He was like, what's going on? And so I literally made a two minute video breaking it down. I was in my office and used a whiteboard to do it. He oh. found it super helpful. I posted it online uh, and other people found it helpful and it just kind of snowballed from there. And ever since then, you have been doing commercials for Fritos, I think, on your Instagram, right? You've been that's how you've been making money. Um, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That and the yeah. RNC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you're like the I mean, I was going to say you're like the what, what's his name? Steve Carmacki. What's his name from MSN? Steve Carmacki. Yeah. You're like the gay Steve Carmacki, but he's also gay. So you're, but he's also gay, right? Yeah. <laughs> Is doing what he's doing, but on like social media, which is great, actually. What what is it, people? I'm sorry, Alan. Go ahead, Brent. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, what is a topic like? What what do you find amongst your, um, perhaps you know, smart but not entirely politically clued in friends? What is the topic that most consistently seems to they they don't understand? <clears throat> Such a good question. Yeah. I get a ton. That's why I interrupted Alan to ask it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I get a lot of questions these days about why, why no consequences for blank. Yeah. Um, and that might be Donald Trump. Uh, that might be some members of the Supreme Court. Um, people feel like there is no justice these days and so i get a lot of questions like why is nothing happening to this person why is this person still in power after they did xyz um and it's sort of a different answer based on who we're talking about in, in the situation right. but oftentimes coming back to how slow the wheel of justice really is yeah you know i i let me let me throw this out alan i'm sorry real quick 
I I've had a similar thought, and, and I always go back to this uh, back in the Bush era. There was a very, you know, there was a controversial uh, 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 school board that decided to in Pennsylvania that decided to start teaching intelligent design and science classrooms as opposed to uh, evolution. And it was a big deal. And of course, the Bush campaign, you know, the Bushies got all behind it because intelligent design is for Jesus. And it was a big deal. And then a conservative judge ended up ruling against the school board and saying intelligent intelligent design is no place in a science classroom. And then what sort of slipped under the radar was that I believe eight out of the nine members of that school board were voted out of office that upcoming year by by citizens of that conservative fair, fairly conservative area forgetting exactly where in Pennsylvania but and my belief is Elliot and Alan you aren't going to be surprised to hear this I think the reason why there are fewer consequences for bad actors is because of social media and the way it tends to polarize and uh, uh, give boost to opposition regardless of how immoral it is go ahead I think a lot of that is correct. I would agree with you. I think social media has played a big role in um, this intransigence that people feel in the political system, that we can't get some of these people out um, because it feels like there's no room for another option uh, because people have been pushed to the extremes. And at the same time, I also think that there's a, a larger contingent of people for whom getting someone out at the ballot box is not enough or it is not soon enough. Um, and so there's this frustration when a member of Congress does something, says something, is accused of something. George Santos being a great example of a lot of these different things. Um, it's like, let's get him out now. Um, and, and people aren't satisfied with, oh, well, he's yeah. up for election in 18 months. Yeah. yeah. What is the question? I mean, th this is just something that I think Brent and I, because I used to work in politics. Brent is obviously very well versed in politics, but never worked in it. Thank you, Brent. Mm -hmm. Elliot, to quote um, OkCupid's okay old dating profile thing is like with the astrology thing is interested in politics, but he, he doesn't really get it. He thinks it's laughs, laughs about it. <laughs> I'm interested. I I follow. But you would I wouldn't necessarily say you're reading like the New York Times political section every single day. No, no. Yeah. No. So hey, sorry. My question is, what is the question? Because when you become when you become like in my friend group, when you become that person who's sort of like known who they know you work or you've worked in politics, or you know politics, or you follow politics. And whenever, especially a presidential election comes around, the one question that Brent and I always get, I think, that we love texting about is when someone is shocked that the Democrats lost Alabama. Like when they're <laughs> out, how did we lose? And so what is the question? when elections come around that you get that you're just like, are you really that dumb? Like, do you not get it? Like, what? Did you go to high school? Yeah. Understand where we live? Like, what is that one question that you hate getting these days? Oh, boy. Um, these days, it's probably... Why won't Joe Biden debate Marianne Williamson? What? Really? Oh, all right. <laughs> We can um, we can let that question skid by. That's that's a that's an Simpson team. They're intense. I get like and I'm not I don't even post political stuff. And I get DMs from people being like Marion Williamson, where Williamson, they love her. It's an it's an insane her camp. Totally. Yeah, I feel like the the TikTok of it all has really um, blown up for sure. 
I don't know. Her, I'm trying her, to think. Her TikTok or like TikTok around Marianne Williamson? I think I'm mostly her content. I mean, there definitely is some um, other amplification going on, but I think just her content. They've like found a lane for sure. Well, I think the good news is, is that um, out of all of her millions of followers on TikTok, not one of them is registered to vote. So that's, I think that's the good news. <laughs> and she and her staff left and right, apparently, because that's the reports that keep coming out. Wait, so Ryan, how did you get, because st- you're a political advisor outside of Instagram, you worked in politics, you advise in politics, you've created Oath, which is, you know, helping people get political advice that maybe wouldn't necessarily have avenues to getting political advice in campaigns, etc. So like, how did you get started in politics? I used to work at Lambda Legal, an LGBT civil rights organization, and absolutely loved doing that work. Thought that I was going to be doing movement work and civil rights work in the nonprofit sector for my whole career. And then Donald Trump was elected. Mm -hmm. Um, And so before that, I was political um, and engaged. I was politically engaged, but I was not the blunt instrument singularly focused on politics that I am now. And that really was a a Donald Trump transformation for me. I started consulting on races during the 2018 cycle um, and then was a campaign staffer and consultant on statewide, uh, federal, local races. Yeah. How do you become a consultant? Like, how do you prove your chops, for lack of a better term, even though I hate that word? How do you prove yourself to be a political consultant? Well, I was coming off of a presidential and then a successful congressional. And at that point, knew how to run a a campaign that would, um, particularly in battleground states and districts, that would would pass muster right that um could could stand up to a competitive race and built trust with candidates both online and offline doing events and uh different kinds of consulting contracts and then you sort of develop a, a bit of a reputation just like you would in any other industry where people are looking for quality people who know what they're doing and can deliver a specific uh, kind of service or insight. And I mostly was doing it around both finance, so fundraising and mm-hmm. communications. Mm-hmm. And so I had been fundraising at that point for a decade, both for nonprofits and political organizations and candidates. And then I think my online uh, presence helped mm-hmm. the communications bit as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, you're, you kind of got you, you, your start in it sort of is about one of my questions that like, I think the best thing that came out of Trump's campaign, Trump's election in 2016 was that it did sort of inspire both on the local level, the state level and the federal level, a lot of young people and progressives to get involved in the process at every single level in a way that like, to this day, I mean, I'm seeing it just with friends getting involved with like SAG board and WGA boards and like running for little different things, realizing that like in the small areas, that's where change really starts and, and it grows from there. And I think that's one of the best things that it came from some Trump's elections. What kind of since Trump's election and considering all these progressives who are getting involved, what kind of changes have you seen sort of at the local and state level that people are, are more queer people getting involved or more queer candidates running or more what kind of conversations are happening right now? Really, all of the above. Um, We're seeing a huge increase in 
young people's interest in running for office and in supporting state and local candidates. A lot of people at, at, in every age group didn't know what the difference between a state house and a state senate a couple years ago, and now they're super engaged in in flipping the Michigan legislature or in the Virginia legislative elections that are coming up this this November. Um, or same same thing at the state Supreme Court level or for attorney general or secretary of state. And um, I think that what we've seen is this huge influx in energy of people who are willing to spend the extra time to figure out how they can really make an impact on the issues that they care about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a bummer sometimes because like it, it, these 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 down ballot candidates, attorney general, secretary of state, they didn't used to be that controversial. They didn't all used to be such in, insane partisans that I, I long for the day when you could, you know, conceivably, you know, vote for a, a Republican secretary of state because you just this person has been around for 20 years and they're trusted by the state. And and you don't suspect that they will, you know, burn, you know, voting booths down uh yeah. And and it's it's we live in certain certainly live in dark times right now when when everything has become so uh, tribal in our politics. Yeah, but also, I mean, one of the things I remember when I was a kid, we were trying to add like LGBT sort of stuff into some thing within the school board and our school board. And one thing that I learned really young in my young political career was like that conservatives, Republicans primarily, but conservatives in general learned long ago that change happens on a local level. And if you can, if you fill the school boards and you fill the city councils and you fill the mayoralships and all of those small things, that's where really a lot of things happen. And now I think the good thing that's happening, sure, we live in a partisan time, but progressives are getting in there in these sort of small seats that you think often don't matter, but have, carry a shit ton of weight when you really think about sort of the small changes that affect the lives of school students or people in small communities or little things. It's I'm really actually hopeful about things to come because I think it's actually I think good things are happening, you know. I I think that's right. And for many of the issues that people care most about, whether that's choice or LGBT equality, climate, education, uh gun safety, a lot of these decisions are not being made in Washington DC. They are being made down the street in your city council or in your state house. And so people really are turning their attention to these um, focal points of power that are enacting these things. When we're hearing about bills that are attacking trans kids or laws that are changing where people can have weapons and who can have access to those weapons um, or what we are or are not doing to fight climate change, these decisions are coming from the state level many, mm -hmm. many times. And so that I mean, and that's why I created Oath was to help people figure out where they should be looking based on the issues that they care about oh. to make that kind of impact. How does what is what do you do with Oath? So the idea behind Oath was that there was this huge influx in people paying attention and they didn't always know where to start. And so we wanted to make it really easy to figure out which races and candidates were most important based on the thing that you care about. So if that's an issue like reproductive rights, or if that's your state or where you're from, I'm from Ohio, I live in New York, but I still engage in Ohio politics. I want to help in Ohio. I want it to be a more friendly place for me if I decide to go back there and live there someday. And so uh, we break that down, do all the 
a sort of expert analysis on our end so that in 30 seconds or 90 seconds, you can very simply take an action that's built on top of that thousands, those thousands of hours of research. That's great. So let me ask you a question. Um, so uh, obviously you are a member of, um, shall I say, LGBTQ community. And, <laughs> sure. uh, uh, but like what, like, I guess I always think of the gay community is fairly politically involved. I, I have a canvassing friend, um, uh, a straight, a straight guy here in Los Angeles and usually around the midterms and the, the presidential elections, we always go out together and knock on doors. And he always, whenever I don't join him, he always says how much he's reminded that the democratic party is driven by women and gay men, um, because he goes to these events and it's all the people that show up. Um, so, but that said, are there weak points, um, in, in sort of the LGBT political campaign side? Do you think that there are, um, a, is, is there a lot of apathy? I mean, this is something we talked about many, many years ago, but, uh, the gay community voted more Republican, uh, in 2020 than they had in like decades. Um, it was one of our worst showings. So what are your thoughts on that? Even in our worst showings, we are overwhelmingly democratic. Um, and that is because we have made the Democratic Party a vehicle to advance LGBT equality. And that was not always the case. Um, and more recently than people would like to think, the Democratic Party wouldn't ac accept dollars that were openly raised by out gay people they wouldn't they wouldn't even let them bundle money for them let alone pursue like progressive 2012 like it's only only 10 years ago marriage equality was added like it's not been that long exactly exactly and so i do feel a lot of hope when i see how quickly that change has occurred and that there is sort of this mutual embrace now um for many for many people not everyone in the lgbt community not a monolith but for many, they see that our rights are on the line and that we need to fight for them. And there are certain ways to do that and certain people out there that are willing to, to fight for us um, if we fight alongside them. And so in most places and in most cases, those are Democrats, not exclusively. And shout out to the Republicans who will stand up for LGBT people wherever they are but they are few and far between these days um when the entire party has sort of turned uh the the clock back in trying to make all lgbt people a, a demon and a public enemy once again mm -hmm. and so right. um yeah i i hear you and i think that there's always more work to do but i do feel a lot of hope in how we've seen the lgbt community engage yes, in the last 10 years, but really in the last 50, that this kind of activism and uh, political action is baked into who we are as a community. Yeah. yeah. When you look at the, oh, I was just going to say, like, in terms of looking ahead, you know, people are talking, of course, about, in terms of 2024, people are talking about Biden and, and his age being some a factor in, you know, his ability or inability to get reelected. So curious. What, where you stand on that and if you have any general take on what the election looks like in 24 in general, even though nobody can obviously prognosticate everything, but curious what you think. You get paid to do it. Totally. He can totally, <laughs> totally do it, Brian. Go ahead. <laughs> 
And and that is the thing. And we're going to be talking about it so much um, for the next 16 months. Look, if I had the sole power to choose who would run for, uh, under the Democratic ticket in 2024, would I choose Joe Biden? No, I would not. He was not my first pick in 2020 either. And I'm also going to support him wholeheartedly and work my ass off to get him reelected. I think it's important to sort of start with what he's accomplished. And it really is an incredible list of things that I'm happy to just start ticking off here, including federal judges and the infrastructure uh, and the CHIPS Act and the PACT Act and healthcare and prescription drug pricing and all of these things that we should all be very excited about. And so he's not always the best messenger of that progress. And I don't think that when he stands up to the podium that people are on the edge of their seat to hear some sort of um, remarkable speech the way that we kind of were with Barack Obama for a long time. And but uh, that the doesn't Trump the, the a horror bizarro version of that with Trump. Trump was exactly the thing is even Trump was fun. Like that that was the weird thing is not fun in the fun, like good yeah. fun in the he was at least a, a circus show and every right. I mean Biden's more like Carter than anybody else. Ever since Reagan, we've had fun presidents. The president yeah, I like boring. And Biden is boring. Biden I love boring. Dude. <laughs> boring is hard in a in an algorithm driven filtered world, right? Yeah. Um, where it's easier for him to go viral for the wrong reasons than the right ones. Um, and everybody's a, a critic. And so people, especially on the left, myself included sometimes, have a tendency to focus on what's not getting done or the people who are not being served to the fullest extent possible rather than on the progress that is happening. And so I do try to be a counterbalance in the space to say, okay, yes, and look at how far we've come in two years in really a, a difficult political environment. Um, and so to answer like your, your broader question, it's as of right now, it's gonna be Biden versus Trump again. It is not the rematch that anybody was looking for, but it's one that we're going to have to get in and roll our sleeves up to win so that we can continue to notch the kinds of victories and look for the boring that that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, I want to also add just what you said. It's like, I think it also is despite all of the bleakness and the chaos that like the algorithm of the world has wrought, I still think it's a testament to, to the, the, fair-minded reasonable people as brent always says moderates who chose who who drove the election and like voted for reason and normalcy and they voted for boring and as much chaos as there can be as much noise as trump made continues to make it's still a testament to the fact that pe there are people who are quiet and voted the right way and and that's why biden is is president and I don't, I personally don't, you know, the age thing, it doesn't really, I don't really, to me, it feels like it's sort of, you're, you're kind of grasping at straws here. Like, you know, it's not like Trump is some young, young buck. He's a, he's a monster, you know, he's like a few years younger than, than Biden. I just get that Biden's like a gentle grandpa and has a different spirit about him. But His, yeah, ultimately, I think it's a, it's a testament to that. Sorry, Alan, I didn't mean to cut you off. Old. That's, that's the difference is that like, we're Democrats talking about Biden's age, acknowledging that he's old, whereas in Trump's space, 
they don't see him as old. They see him as traveling the country, giving speeches at rallies, being strong and virile and like literally he, and that's the, that's, I think the messaging problem behind it all is that, you know, and also with Biden, I want to say too, it, the huge thing that I think it's left out of the 20 elect, 2020 election that also will be in 2024 is that black and brown Americans is the reason why Biden is literally in office. Like from the primaries to the general election, black and brown Americans are the reasons the Democratic Party has what we have right now. And that should definitely be acknowledged. A hundred percent. And as far as the contrast, it is easy to forget what the Trump years really felt like because it now. won feels like forever ago and two he's still in the news all the time so you don't really like look back and think trump it's like still happening um but if you remember like the leaks and the personnel changes every week and the executive orders and the court battles and the chaos of the administration was so exhausting and I think we need to also bring that conversation back as to what that really looked like, because people like to be like, oh, yeah, the Trump years, the stock market. Ha ha ha. And it's like that was a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. totally. That's a good point. I have to ask before we let you go. One question that I know Elliot Glazer wrote that I'm obsessed with that I am going to ask you. Um, are there any because this is I have politicians like this. Are there any politicians you deem, quote unquote, mother? <laughs> Well, I only I only ask because I know Brent. Brent, I think you would say Claire McCaskill's like your your fave, and would it be Claire? No, no. Claire I, McCaskill. I mean, I love uh, from Missouri, I love Claire McCaskill, but no, she would not be my Alan's fave. What? But Brian, who would be yours? I think Big Gretch is mother. Mm. Gretchen Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan. <laughs> oh. Um. Who else? Right. Why do you what do you love about Big Big Gretch? I love Big Gretch. Um Big Gretch is real. Number one. First and foremost, what we need today is somebody who can really like hop on a mic or jump on their selfie and talk and not mm-hmm. be overly scripted and overly uh sort of yeah. designed by committee. And she's real. Um she's gotten shit done. She's super popular. She just won by Oh, I should know this off the top of my head. I think 10, yeah, 11, 11 points in in Michigan um, in a competitive midterm cycle. Like that's impressive stuff. And I think she doesn't get her due. I've I've always been a fan of of someone who fits the vibe of the state. As long as like, as long as like, um, you know, uh, I always talk about the senator from Montana, John Tester is this big fat organic farmer with missing fingers because he lost them in an, in an, a farming accident. And like that, that is the kind of Democrat that makes sense in Montana. And he's, he's fairly moderate. He votes the way you want most of the time, but he's fairly moderate and will occasionally buck the party, which makes sense in a conservative state. I think people like that are perfect. Your mother, um, mother for you. Yeah. John Tester is mother. Yeah, I guess so. My, I still don't. I don't even know what mother means. But go ahead. We know that we know. person that I wanted for 2020. I'm with her till the end. She can do no wrong, even when she does wrong. Elizabeth Warren, all the way. One percent. Uh, sure. Elizabeth Warren. I just Fine. Brian, you, like Elizabeth Warren is sort of a version of you. You're like the Elizabeth Warren of gay internet Instagram. <laughs> like the way you explain things on Instagram is exactly how Elizabeth Warren explains things on Rachel Maddow, and it's just it's just like a little blanket. It's covering me with a blanket of intelligence. If if 
elections were run like student government, Elizabeth Warren would for sure be president. <laughs> she has at least all the U.S. Senate for sure. <laughs> she has all the plans. She's a schemer, as mm-hmm. um, the Joker would say. She's a schemer. Uh, she has lots of plans. Well, well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you on the internet? Where can you they can follow find, you? You can find me at Brian Derek underscore on Instagram. All right, Brian Derek underscore. Follow Brian. Learn from his his wisdom, his knowledge, and uh, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Super fun. And another thing. Here's a question for you guys. I just recently. I was on a plane, not trying to brag, a couple weeks ago. Wow. Um, wow. I mean, I don't have I don't have Elliot Glazer, Air Dubai, bed plane money, but do you, here's a question for you, do you recline your seat on an airplane? I forget uh, until other people do it. Like, I'm like, I don't think about doing it, and then the person in front of me does it. I'm like, well, I guess I could use a little more room now myself, but I don't think it makes that much of a difference. Um, to me personally, uh, for me, it's all about the lower backs, the lumbar support. And so sitting further upright actually provides more lumbar support for me. So I don't I don't prefer to recline unless I'm being robbed of room. What about you, Alan? I'm the same way. I don't normally, I think, recline until someone else takes up more of my space. And then I feel like I should because they're right in me, you know, when they recline in front of me. So I think I do but i also have like i mean i have very specific especially as a larger person very specific plane oh how dare you i dared and it's the truth so let's run with it um but the the peculiar things that you have to do on an airplane when you are existing in a larger body and sort of how because if you recline then the person and and the person behind you is an asshole then all of a sudden you're the fat ass who's reclining taking space so somehow my fat ass is taking up more of their space even though it wouldn't be any more than what you would be if you reclined in that seat so there is that sort of thing so if i see and yes i'm completely judging on just on looks but if i see like like a straight white dude who looks intimidating sitting behind me i don't think there's a there's any chance in hell i'm reclining i don't because oh interesting i'm concerned it's gonna be gonna be a thing up space and so i just don't i just don't do it but if michael does it if michael's next to me then i will do it if he's doing it because at least then i'll have someone else to sort of back me up but i am excited to fly again because i'm down because of wagovi 40 pounds so now whoa congratulations excuse me mr 10 out of 10. okay yes i will fit into the seat better and and uh, it'll be a wonderful experience no problem very exciting by the way congratulations so here's my stance I hate people who recline their chairs. <laughs> Why? And it's it's because it's because uh, two factors. First, everyone knows it doesn't make a fucking difference, and it doesn't feel any better. Like it feels z- zero better. And second of all, when you're trying to get work done on your computer and someone reclines, you have to basically rejigger your computer to even try to make it work. And sometimes it's actually difficult. Problem. What'd you say? <laughs> That's your problem, not my problem. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I don't, I don't recline. I don't recline in air, in airplanes because I respect that I get nothing out of it, and it's annoying for the person behind me. Th- therefore, it is a net negative loss for the humanity, and therefore, I don't do it. I don't think it 
I don't think it doesn't not make a difference. I do think it actually makes a difference, especially if the person in front of you is reclining, then it becomes a more comfortable experience. And if you're sleeping, it does become a more comfortable. So I do think the recline feature does in fact bring about more comfort depending upon the situation. But I think there's my, there's some, I think it's mildly more comfortable to recline. Like it's mildly easier to sleep if you're reclined, but I think it's a hairpin of a difference. I really don't think it it does much for anybody. I mean, I th- I think it's a ten. De- I think it's ten degrees. I think it's if if we're look if we're looking at you know the the wheel and three sixty three hundred sixty degree is a circle. I think you when you recline, it's like probably seven to ten degrees. I That's nothing. I'm going to take up the space in which I am allotted on a plane, and the reclining space is a part of the allocated space that I am allotted on a plane. So I don't, while I do respect the passengers around me, I'm not going to not use everything at my disposal on a plane, if that makes sense. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I would ever get, I'm not saying I would ever say anything to someone in front of me for reclining, but I do secretly hate them. Well, if, you said to somebody, if you said something to somebody in front of you, that would be the craziest thing. It would be absolutely possible. wild. I mean, I've seen lots of videos like of fights that start over like stuff like that on planes. Yeah, because you went because it's because to Alan's point, it's like you get territorial there. Like you mm. pay, you want to be able to do whatever you want to do. But yeah. I, I see, I guess in my head, it's just like if somebody reclines and you don't want to because you need that room, elbow room to use your computer, you're going to recline and it's just going to be a domino effect anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm also kind of like, I can't even use a computer on a plane because there's not enough space for me to use a complete computer. So, sorry. I, 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 I It's just, uncom- it's just uh, uncomfortable in general. Yeah. Can't do it. There are situations in which, like, I could put this the tray down, but then if I have to put the computer down, I literally have to type like this. I hate yeah. it. I know. Yeah. I don't like it. I, I, I'm, I, my thing on a plane is, like, I kind of try to make my space my, like, my very own so i have like my laptop my ipad water like so many things in the pocket my my neck fan my it's like there's so many things going on and not your neck fan oh my god but what are the things that is something that i think is really interesting on plane etiquette so there are there is a system of stuff in which i have to have in certain pockets and available that i know i'm comfortable because i know I can't use a computer on a plane. I can't use an iPad on a plane. Like I can't, there are certain things just because of the dynamics of the seat and me and everything that I can't use. So I almost will just exclusively use my phone. So I have my headphones in my pocket. I have my um, my phone in my other pocket, of course. And then I have the water. And as soon as I sit down, it's this whole process of, I'm gonna look like I'm the most efficient fat fucker on this plane. I'm putting that bag under the plane, under the seat real quick. The yeah. water in the thing the headphones are in i'm good i'm good i'm not gonna get up for the whole plane to pee i swear don't hate i that's another dynamic that's like big for me because i pee a lot and i have i never i have no problem getting up for anyone no matter how many times i need to get up i feel so bad making people get up so i can pee that i will like sit in agony Oh my God, Brent! like for for but but like you know it's like one of those things where you're like you sit down you're like oh fuck like before you take off, you're like, I should have gone to the bathroom. It's too late now. So then like, you're like, well, let me just get an hour into the flight as opposed to going immediately. Because then an hour in, you know, I'll have all of this, 
I'll pee it all out. And then even if I have to go again, I can hold it by the rest of the, by the end of the flight. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that that's fair minded, but you make it sound like, you're, it's not like you're going like five times in three hours. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I almost always wait for the other person to get up. Yeah. That's I try what to do I that do. Too. I try to do that. But at the don't sit in agony. Don't don't like destroy your pelvic floor. Well, no, I mean not agony, but I've just definitely sat infinitely longer than I would yeah. if like I was at home to go to the bathroom on the plane. Why don't you always sit on the aisle? Yeah, I mean, I I fly JetBlue a lot. I fly Spirit home sometimes. I fly Delta, and like usually you have to pay JetBlue and Spirit. You have to pay for every seat, and sometimes you get lucky and they give you an aisle. But but if you want to get an aisle, you have to pay for it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I just, yeah. just bought Southwest tickets for the first time in a very long time because I usually fly Delta or American. Yeah, yeah. Delta's um, great. I, I'm a little nervous about flying Southwest, but, you know. It'll be fine. Southwest is fine. Spirit, if Spirit can surprise me by being, like, you know, barely above a bus station in the sky but getting me back to L.A., then I think you'll be fine with Southwest. Oh, we'll see. We'll, I'll report back. Spirit, uh, Southwest was the official airline of my favorite TV show of all time, Airline, the reality, the reality show from like. <laughs> oh, good. You know how hard I tried to be on that show? Do you oh, know my God. Because it, they shot it when I was in school at Midway. In yes. And I would, because I would often fly back to St. Louis for it. And I would always be like, I'm going to look for the camera crews. Uh... And I'm going to cause a scene. I never once saw a fucking camera crew. Never. You don't want to be on that show because everyone they film is like, hi, sir, we need to get you to not stink but without paying a, right. a dime is <laughs> that show's credit to this day to this as seen on as seen on a and e h allen scott <laughs> what would your aunt say brent what would your aunt ramona say about something she heard on today's show I'm surprised you didn't ask the question that we were all thinking while you were talking about the airplanes. Is Elliot in the Mile High Club? <laughs> <laughs> My aunt would say, "What? Well, tell Brent to do what I do. Wear a diaper. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> How about Aunt Anne? Aunt Anne would say, I mean, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. He's the one who inspired me to get a facelift. I don't care about his age. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Biden, I think, one of the best facelifts. In it is a good facelift. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, back to that question. Ellie, are you in the Mile High Club? Ooh. No, are you in the Mile High Club? <laughs> no, of course. What do you think? <laughs> I'm in the you think I'm in the Mile High Club? You're the one who spreads his legs everywhere you go. I'm remaining silent. Also, I don't even understand. Genuinely, I can't describe to you. I couldn't imagine the technicalities. Oh, no, is that? really easy you just get the blanket with the person next to you and you can just have not from experience i'm not saying i've done the so like a hand job mile high club yeah, hand job oh. mile club. yeah i've yeah, never, yeah, yeah. never done the bathroom thing because i've always been too big for that but it's yeah a, I, that's what i mean it's such a it's such a trope of like a 90s rom-com but it's like right how do two people fit in the bathroom and like spread their genital like how, <laughs> how does that even happen well well elliot i'm sure you'll figure it out one of these days <laughs> Bring a big blanket and get a hand job or give one. 